Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Network. I'm Edward Schuler. Joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how are you doing today, man? And I'm doing great. It is been weird up and down weather. I heard it's been weird weather in North Carolina too. Uh, it's always I, I think, <laughs> yeah, like, like so. It's been like it's it's been like for the most part, it's been like 40s. It's gonna be like almost 60 tomorrow, but randomly on Friday night it snowed. Um, I heard, I, I was like, I know somebody that else that lives in that area. And they were like, in your area. And they were like, yeah, it's been like 80 all week, but then it's fucking been down to 40. <laughs> so. No, for real though. Like, I, uh, <laughs> it, it's funny though, because, uh, well, I, I went to the, uh, the Hornets game last night when they played Miami and I was just really sh- surprised. Like, like you said, it was 80 something degrees all week. And then it's like. 40s on the weekend has been consistent like that but like it, it's just really weird because the the stranger of a Weber gets the better of a Hornets play because they're on a four game <laughs> win streak and they beat Miami yeah, for the second time <laughs> so it's Dennis just, Smith Jr. Yeah. man he's making yeah. a comeback yeah. he's only 25 I was like I was looking at yes I was like holy shit that's right he was in that same draft as Larry yeah yeah De- Dennis Smith uh had a great dunk uh last night against uh Max Struess and it was one of those like oh like I've seen some dunks in person at that arena and that was uh that was up there. Um but yeah it was a fun little time the Hornets are playing really well some somehow in the last four games and it's it's kind of uh flattering to know that the Bulls are not the only team that struggles against trash teams. Um, right. Even though the Hornets to be fair have gotten healthier um as the year has gone on. But um yeah, it's been uh it's it's been a it was a good uh good game to little see. Um we are a week removed from All Star Weekend. We are a few weeks removed from the NBA trade deadline. So uh this is the time of the year where the playoff race and everything really starts to get get heated up. And even though the Bulls did not make a move uh at the trade deadline, they did make an acquisition. They did make a uh, signing, signing Patrick Beverly to a one-year veteran minimum deal, waving Tony Bradley. So we we got to see Tony, well, not Tony Bradley. We got to see Patrick Beverly in action against the Brooklyn Nets, and the Bulls killed the uh, new look Brooklyn Nets. So that was really encouraging. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Beverly signing. We're going to talk about uh, Lonzo Ball being shut down for the season. We'll get into a little bit of uh, trade deadline stuff as well, and we're going to get into some NBA draft talk as well because it's almost march which is kind of crazy right like it is 
It is almost March. We're two months into the new year. It has flown by. So we're getting into yeah. the conference tournaments. We're getting into March Madness. We're getting into the the prime period of NBA draft season. So, you know, who better to talk to than just one of the best draft experts, I think, on basketball Twitter. He is He's always scouting, time. too. He's always out scouting, too. Right. I always right. see him. Yeah, work ethic is crazy. The the designs that he does with his work are insane. He's one of our good buddies. We love talking to him. You know him as well. Joining us again on Bulls Gold for maybe the 30th, 50th time. I don't know who's yeah, counting, know. but we love having him on. Corey Taleba of No Ceilings. Corey, welcome back, man. What's uh, going on, fellas? Uh, appreciate you having me back for whatever time it actually is. I mean, yeah. I, I love being here. I love talking with you guys. And um, I'm glad that maybe this is a little bit of optimism during this podcast. Maybe oh, a maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I'm, 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 I'm not going to buy back into this team yet. But, like, hey, look, you, you can't be mad about a, what you, your team runs by 40 against anyone. Right. I don't care. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, it sucks that, you know, thinking about like this when we later, when we get into the draft talk, but it sucks that, you know, this is supposed to be one of the best drafts, like in the history of the league and the bulls will probably not have a pick at all <laughs> because yeah. this, Port- this Portland team is not looking like they're going to uh, make the playoffs. And um, obviously the bulls are very much, trying to get in the play in or a play in at least. And even if they make the don't win the play in, the odds are so minimal for them to jump up. It's depressing. <laughs> yeah. And right now, I mean the Bulls are not in the play. <laughs> so uh it's, it's kind of Right, right. Yeah. So I don't know. This the season can still go a number of ways. Uh but it like I said, it was really encouraging at least to see a beatdown of Brooklyn, even though it's a completely different team. But to see that type of win when you come back from the All Star festivities was was really solid. But I'm like you, Salim. Like I'm just I, I'm still standing that I am not buying into this team the rest of the season. I can't do it. Like it was easier to be interested earlier when there were some signs of life but it's just it's like the bulls have us in the cycle where they just enjoy doing this to us so i'm just <laughs> I, I i don't know like Corey. so like before we start like how have you been feeling with this just roller coaster of a season just of just winning some having some really quality wins against some good teams and then following that up with losses to minnesota and Orlando and Charlotte and blowing leads to the Pacers who have injuries and then beating Milwaukee and just just up and down, up and down. Like, it, it, how have you been feeling about all of this? I honestly, I think it's the season's gone exactly the way I expected it to go. <laughs> to be like, you know, knowing that Zach was going to be coming back from a knee injury the Lonzo thing was up in the air the whole time, very reminiscent of our point guard injury issues of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I knew just based on what happened last year that like, there's probably going to be some struggles, some inconsistencies, you know, Patrick Williams, if he had turned into like, I think he's having a, a very good season, but with that said, I, you know, I, I don't think he hit the level that like you want your number four overall pick to hit. 
necessarily. Um, and he, since he didn't make that, you know, that leap where he's this aggressive on ball, off ball scorer every single night, I figured this is where the Bulls were going to live. You know, like I, I think that up and down a game and a half or, you know, in that 11 spot in the play in without one of the most integral parts of your team that kind of ran things defensively and and set the tone and the pace every day offensively, which is what Lonzo brought to the team. The Bulls are, I don't know if they're without an identity because their identity is plays in the half court and doesn't shoot a lot of threes and is, mm. you know, inconsistent defensively. Maybe that was their identity, but they had this whole different identity with Lonzo. So as long as he's not on the court, this is the way I thought they would be. Like they have the talent to actually compete with those top tier teams on any given night because DeMar and Vooch and, and Zach can go off for, you know, 30 points each. Um, last year, obviously they struggled with those teams, but just like, you know, they won a lot of close games on the other side of it, you know, there's that variance that they very easily could have beat some of those teams and, I don't know. I this is without one of your big pieces. This is how I thought the Bulls were going to play. I do think that Nets win was encouraging. I thought at least on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Pat Bev brings an energy and a, and does things to set the tone and and where you could at least kind of replicate a little bit of what Lonzo does. Lonzo obviously is positional size allows him to guard more positions on the floor, but at least there's a little bit of that defense um back because but that Nets team is a good team like they look like you know they just traded two quote-unquote superstar guys but they still have a lot of really good pieces up and down the roster at like premium positions so I one game um small sample size let's see they could easily you know go back on a a losing skid here but I you know this is what I expected and and hopefully going forward Beverly at least gives them another guy who could eat some minutes and maybe shoot some threes fairly consistently. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say like, like, like to your point, Corey, uh, the, the, that game, I watched, I rewatched a little bit of it or not rewatch. I watched the first half. I was, I wasn't home Friday night. Um, and I tried to watch most of the game. I, I couldn't watch the second half mostly because I couldn't find any sites online. All the, copyright links were taken down um when i tried to rewatch it uh these these places are getting to them a lot quicker now than <laughs> like, you, know, those, you know those nba replay sites that there are yeah. so yeah. um but yeah like definitely the energy was much better like pat bev just seems like he's feels rejuvenated or something playing in chicago he's just running all over the court um i think you probably see the vision there where um, at least as far as I would see, he's not Lonzo Ball. Let's not get that twisted by any means. Um, but the way him and, and Caruso and Lonzo used to kind of attack defense or offenses, at least like on that side of the ball where they would blow up actions, kind of be just pests. Um, you can probably replicate that at some level with Pat and, and AC. Um so that that should be encouraging to see. I'm intrigued and interested to see how essentially a four guard starting lineup works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it works against the Nets because they're not as big, um, you know, game to game. But like you're gonna start playing teams that have size, and 
and more, you know, length. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, with Pat, I'll say this: like I, like I, and, and I'm glad you said he's having a good season because that's how I've felt all year, and I, and and I feel more encouraged from Pat uh, with with the offensive aggression. Uh, I, I will say, like with playing, and this is why I wanted him to come off the bench to start the season because I wanted him to play away from Demar and Zach as much as possible. Um, and being if when he's playing with him, the Bulls' offense is a lot of isolation and DHOs. So there's not a lot of opportunity outside of the big three to get a lot of opportunities to score. And at times, I mean, granted, Pat does pass up open looks. I think he's cut down on that, but there's still times that he's done it. But outside of, like, getting kickouts, he doesn't have a lot of opportunities to create on ball. And but on the there's been also small occasions that he does, and he's shown some level of growth and development there. So that's encouraging. But yeah, like I said, I think him coming off the bench, I'm I'm hoping that gives him more opportunity to be a little more assertive when he gets a ball in his hands because he knows he won't have one of those other alpha uh, ball dominant uh, perimeter guys with him. Maybe it allows him to be like, you know what? Let me see if I can get some uh, of my own offense going. And in the first half alone, I saw, I felt like I saw him being a little bit more when he came in the game, being a little bit more assertive when he had the ball in his hand, like at least attacking the rim uh, and trying to be more creative in, in that sense. So that's encouraging for sure, uh, as far as that's concerned. But, you know, when we talk about this team, as far as what they're doing, um, post deadline like what were your thoughts that they should have done at the deadline did you think that hey they should try to add shooting or were you like you know what i think it's time to reboot retool like what were your thoughts going into the deadline for that i i mean i would have loved if there was an opportunity to add some shooting like i think obvious that's like it, it it's such a glaring weakness on this roster like even the bulls good shooters like I think that Kobe has done a better job. Like he's 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 made improvements this year, but he's still an inconsistent three point shooter. Like he, so, even the Bulls' good three point shooters outside of Zach, like I don't necessarily trust them to be consistent shooters. So I would have loved uh, a shooter, but at the same time, I I don't know if that would have solved all of the Bulls' problems. Maybe some of them slightly, but I think that's probably something you address in the off season is probably a little bit easier to address in the off season when there are more options. I don't know what kind of shooters were actually available and attainable that made sense with whatever assets that we actually have and that people would want. Like was Drummond getting you a, a shooter? Like, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like one that actually is going to be able to step on the floor, not get killed defensively, doesn't have a big contract that teams are just trying to move off of. And then it's, uh, and are you willing to give up another pick for what maybe the bulls end up in the, the eighth spot instead of the 10th spot for some marginal increase? I, I, I understand the optics of like the bulls not doing anything during the trade deadline are bad. And, you know, I even thought it was funny and I went on chat GPT and like, right. <laughs> like asked, asked the AI to, to, to make a, a a press conference script, you know, for 
the Bulls front office, yeah. and it like and it was very funny because it came out very similar. And I did it before they they actually did the press conference. But at yeah. the same time, like I understand from their perspective, like knowing a little bit more, knowing what was out there, why they probably just want to ride it out. And unless the Bulls were going to go complete rebuild, completely blow it up, uh, I. I don't know what moves were really there for them. And I think if they are going to go complete rebuild and blow it up, I think that they can get the same value in the off season that they would have gotten now. Like maybe Vooch, like there's a decision to be made there. Obviously you have to figure out if you're going to resign him or let him go. But like Caruso is still going to have value in the off season. Zach, I think if he continues to show that he's healthy and is playing well, I think he'll have more value going in the offseason rather than the Bulls just losing, you know, a ton of games and him having that slow start. Uh, and DeMar, like, he's still having a good season and it'll be one less year and he'll, you could still recoup whatever value. So I think that's all, those options are all there. And now if you actually blow it up, now you get to keep your pick, right? Like, so there's there's not the worst case scenario where, Portland misses the playoffs. We move off everybody and, you know, we give up the fifth pick and it's just kind of like a wasted season altogether. So I I understand like, Hey, let's just try to get into the playoffs, boost everybody's value up and we can reassess during the off season. It's not what fans want. Uh, It's probably not even what the front office necessarily wants, but it might just make the most sense to be patient. Now, if they don't address a lot of this in the off season and they don't pick a lane in the off season and they're just like, well, hopefully Lonzo's better now after missing yeah. a year and a half. Mm. Now I think it's really fair to turn on the heat because this Lonzo situation, it really puts the team between a rock and a hard place because you have to like, they know more than anybody else. Like, is this dude, is his career just over? Yeah. And or is he actually going to be able to figure this out in the next few months? And by next October, he'll be ready to go. That stuff, obviously, I can't touch on because I'm not a medical expert. Um, I don't think any of even the really good online medical experts that you follow that are out there now, they don't know because they don't have a chance to look at it. That's just a, a wait and see situation. So, But larger, you know, long story short. I think the off season is off season is when we have to see whether or not we should really start making moves. Yeah, it, for me, it was like I, I, I agree with like pretty much like everything you're saying. I think for me, it was just just frustration that it, it, it's just like the the optics of everything we do seems to get us back to that like bull that classic bulls point where yeah we we don't do anything or we can't take. We, we can't make a move to take the next step in some sort of way. So it's just frustration around that for me. It's just, I don't know how many bulls like bills we have to go through before. It's just like we, we reach a certain point and we just can't take that next step. And then we regress and then we have to tear it all down and start over. Can't get, can't get to the next step because we can't make that move. It's just so repetitive. So it, I don't know, like whatever happens in the off season happens, but it, like to me, I think, when we were talking to Will Gottlieb, that was just kind of like my frustration. Like I didn't even have really words to describe it accurately. <laughs> Cause it's just like, we, it's just, just so bulls. But I, I, I do, 
I do think that Patrick Beverly is a pretty solid fit for both of the like the reasons you guys have explained because he gives you a lot of what Lonzo Ball can defensively at least, and mm-hmm. he's a guy that doesn't really need the ball on offense to create value. And I, I like that he is in his hometown, so he's going to be inspired by that. He, you know, played with a lot of energy in his first game, so you know, usually a pretty good locker room guy. Like I, I, I like that he has that type of jolt and energy that fits what this team needs if they are trying to make the play in, which I assume that they are. And when we were talking about Russell Westbrook, I felt like someone like Beverly is just a better fit than Westbrook from a basketball standpoint, even though as Celine mentioned, there were more nuanced reasons to want Russell Westbrook on this team. But Beverly's fit just seems to make a lot more sense. Like he, 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 he fills in a lot of those gaps that Lonzo Ball left defensively, at least. And then offensively, he can make a three. So, like, he's a respectable career three-point shooter. So, like, I, I'll, I'll take that. So, overall, like, I, I liked what I, I saw from him. Yeah, and I think he's – because he's a veteran who, like, excels defensively, like, hmm. he at least is always going to be in the right spots. Like, yeah. even when he's, you know, guarding uh, above his pay grade, it he just – like, I, and that's the other thing with the front office. Like, they are talking to agents and stuff, right? Like, they knew that they were going to have at least some kind of options on the buyout market. It's not like they were just hoping and praying. Like, they're definitely, like, in dialogues with, with these people uh, to where there's at least some level of confidence. It doesn't guarantee anything, obviously, because ultimately the player actually still has to decide to, to do something. But I they probably had a fairly good indication of like, all right, we can, we probably have a, uh, if we can't get Russ, we have a good shot at getting Beverly as a backup plan. And I don't know how many options better than like, if the bulls had traded for Patrick Beverly, like would fan, instead of just getting him on the buyout market, right. would that have made fans happier? Cause right. it's ultimately the same thing. And they probably could have traded whatever, you know, piece to make the salaries work it would ultimately it's the same thing and they didn't have to give up anything of value right yeah they they, there was definitely a logical and reasonable explanation for why they ended up not doing anything it's just kind of like yeah the optics suck yeah yeah the optics (laughs) suck and then the road getting there to doing nothing is just what like drives you really crazy about it so, and they were the only team that yeah. didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. I think, them, yeah, I think yeah. my I think my frustration was frustration was I really wanted them to start retooling and rebuilding process because, like, I think they should have moved Vooch. I think and I've, I've already said this many times that I think mm-hmm. they should have moved Demar and started, you know, um, getting that process started. At the very least, move Vooch just because he's going into his free agency this summer, and obviously. Um, you know, they they can still extend them and then trade him later, uh, depending on what the contract looks like. It, it might not be hard to move him, mm-hmm. but I just thought that process should have started. Um, and I was kind of annoyed just by the addition of Patrick Beverly, mostly because, like, well, this is definitely going to take minutes away from the younger players. And, mm-hmm. But that's the route they want to go. They want to try to eke into this, at least into this play-in, and they're going to sacrifice minutes to younger guys to do it. So it is what it is at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, here, I, I, I do agree that like if there was a move to be made, it was 
trying to get somebody who maybe offers a little bit more defensively than Vooch does at the center spot to yeah. give to shake up the look. As far as like, I think if you're gonna move Demar and you're gonna like move Vooch, I think you. I, I don't think there's any route that makes sense to get rid of those guys and keep Zach. I think you well, have I to would, clean this, wipe the slate. I would really clean. No, yeah. I agree, but my thing with Zach was let him recoup his value, and then on draft day you can revisit trade yeah. like the Heat, the Knicks, or whatever. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm, I am 100 with you there, Corey. Like, yeah, you have to blow this entire thing up, and that's where I want them to do. So I thought they should have started the process at the trade deadline, and then like with Zach, like I said, let him, let him put up his numbers, get his efficiency up. Show everyone, yeah, I'm healthy. This knee isn't a bit a problem anymore. Um, and then, like I said, on draft day, yeah, you could probably have a lot more offers and opportunities right. to trade him. And I think that's and and that still might happen. Like I, right. I can totally see either a the Bulls is looking back at the Knicks and and trying to see if they can get that trade worked out, or Zach maybe just requesting a trade. Um, because there seems to be something with him and Billy Donovan that just isn't clicking anymore. Um, for one reason or another, it's only him and Billy don't get along, and everyone else seems to be backing Billy. Uh, so yeah. you, you take that Which for says what, something. what it will. Yeah, you take that for well. But at the same time, this is not the first player that has been out on Billy. You know, there's been numerous players in the past that have been out on. I don't know if it's numerous, but there have been players in the past that have been yeah. kind of like. I think it's any uh, coaching really. situation. Yeah, it's only coaching situations. So I don't know if that necessarily says, necessarily says anything about Zach in particular, but hmm. I digress. Anyways, like as far as like rebuilding process, yeah, I thought that should have started, but you know they're they're gonna do what they can to try to get into the playoffs, and we'll see if this gambit works out. And I don't know, like I, I still I'm not still sure if they'll rebuild in the in the off season. I'm I still don't know what. What they'll do? I have no I, idea I what there's, they are going to do. <laughs> there's no clarity. That's what the trade de- the trade deadline would have given clarity if they had made a move, and they did. Yeah. Right, like so, one way or another, clarity. Like if they had tried to add it, okay, yeah. they're still going to try to win, and in the off season, they'll probably still try to reestablish this team and get back to winning. Or if they had traded Vooch, it's like okay, they're starting the rebuild process. In the off season, we'll probably see more moves. We we still don't know because. Like the draft date could come, and it's just they're still trying to figure out into the off season, saying, "Okay, how can we make this big three work?" And I think that's a big another contention of mine. I, I think we need to give up on this big three route because they're not like you have how many minutes together? I think this forty four point uh, drubbing the of the Nets they have, they're finally a positive point four point zero four percent. Together, net ready, net waiting, yeah. the three of them together. And I think somebody did, that, and, and maybe it's changed a little bit, like a minuscule amount, but somebody did the entirety of the minutes they've played together since they've got here, and they were like essentially a, a zero net rating. Yes. So it's like, it, it just shows <laughs> you, like, this big three thing is not working anymore. They just did not, you cannot rely on them to be your three best players. And when you have guys like Caruso and Pat, who make them a positive lineup? Like you can't rely on that. You can't rely on your your you know your role players, even if they're you know good role players, to be the reason your your big three end up playing well together. Um, mm-hmm. And you know people will point out the numbers and things like that as far as the you know and they have been playing better 
and they've been, you know, putting up better consistent scoring numbers and things like that. But that's also because the, 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 the way this offense is designed, it's kind of designed to allow those guys to put up stats because the offense is like I said, so ISO and DHO heavy. So yeah, it's just, I think, I think that, I don't mean, it's not like a broken record, but I think that's the route they have to go is that break up this big three, but we, we still don't have an understanding of what they're going to do. Yeah. It, it, it's just really unclear. I mean, well, I think we, we know what ownership looks for in this team long-term and it's not really anything that aligns with fans, but like, if this team, so if the Bulls sneak into the play-in, let's let's say best case scenario happens. I guess in terms of, uh, just from a competitive basketball standpoint. So let's say the Bulls make the play-in, and let's say the Bulls actually make the playoffs from that, and then they get they get beat in a series, but maybe they sneak like a game or two against whoever they play in the playoffs. That's probably the best case scenario that you could realistically imagine. I don't know how they catch fire, but let's say that happens. Maybe Patrick Beverly is a big part of that. Do you think that ownership looks at that in in the offseason and says, okay, give us more of that. Like We still believe in what this team can do, so bring back Vooch. Like retool some retool around that. I don't know. Like, let's give this one more shot. Do you think that ownership would react that way to that scenario? I, I honestly think that everything, every decision hinges on Lonzo's health. Okay. I, that's to me, like whatever the direction is, like if they don't think Lonzo is playing next year or something, like I think it might just be like, all right, we have to change the direction. Cause I, I think the big three is like a fun narrative to like spin on the media. But I think that the front office believes that like Lonzo is actually in part of that big three. I mean, you can make an argument. He's the third best player. Like when he was healthy, um, his on-court impact was at least at, at the very least third best. On the yeah. Record. And I, you could probably make an argument for two, you know, for yeah. the two spot there. Right. Like you yeah, can make yeah. that argument. Like it's I a, think, like I think he's part of the real big three if there is one, um, right. but because the Bulls gave up assets and made the big trade for Vooch, he gets lumped in there, right. and he's been a beacon right. of health. He plays every game, right? Yeah. So like, and, and to his credit, he's been good this season. He's been very he good. Been. Yes, he's, he's been, been very good. good. Yes, I think. And like the Bulls this year, like it, it's they're so up and down, they're so inconsistent. But like you know, they do have a positive point differential this year. Um, you know, like they're they're a middle of the pack team. They're up and down. This is what they are, but they're missing one of their potentially two to three best player, right? Uh, yeah. Or you know, you know, second best or third best player. So if they have full confidence that Lonzo's healthy, yeah, I think maybe they run it back with hopes that he is that difference maker. The last game they played, the Bulls were in first, if I you know remember correctly. So I still think that they believe that this core of what they put together works but they need the glue yeah to keep it together it, uh, you know the pieces don't make sense without him nearly as yeah. much as they do with him the bulls can't they don't play fast without him because they don't have anybody that makes them play fast right they don't have you know a guy who could guard anybody from your point guard to like 
you know, a power forward like Julius Randle, like that, that can do all of these things while shooting 40% on high volume. They just don't have that. And he's, I think he is the key to everything. I think if, if they have confidence, they'll still try to compete. If they think that he's, his career is over, I think they might have to, and they might decide to shift the direction. But look, if they just if they just don't do anything and they try to make the marginal moves like they made with Drogic and Drummond this year, then I think fans rightfully should call for everybody's head. And I also think that signifies that there's just no solution to this until the ownership right. is, is moved out. Yeah. Because, but because also, then... <laughs> yeah, well, also it comes down to this offseason get tricky because they're not – ownership is so adamant they're never going to pay the tax unless you have, like, a, 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 an obvious title contender, which that's just – a ridiculous bar to have or to to pay the tax for and then a giant market like Chicago. But uh, that's going to be another problem because, you know, all the capologists have done the numbers and it's like, look, it's going to be difficult to to keep all the players together on this roster because, like, Kobe doesn't look like a guy you let walk at this point. Like, he's, well, he shows improvement. Like, I would like to keep Kobe um, unless you can get actual something good for him in return. Um, I would personally like to keep Kobe. Io, you can't let walk. Um, obviously, Luke contract is becoming a, an interesting situation. Um, so when you add up all these different contracts, it's like okay, well then the Bulls will be only left with marginal moves because probably Javante might get a better offer somewhere, so he'll leave. Um, I mean they won't, probably won't have a draft pick, so that's um, a contract they don't have to you know worry about it, I guess mm-hmm. that's that is a like a positive if you want to look for a positive about not having a draft pick uh in this draft but yeah it just it comes to the point where it's like how are you going to improve this team when you don't have the finances you you you, you thought or you you want to have um and it's going to have to come down to where it's like okay even with even if we have hope for Lonzo we're going to have to make a big change here one way or another. Exactly. And and that's what I was trying to like get at a little bit in, in our episode with Will is that it feels like this team self-sabotages itself because of ownership. And it's really because like we are working under like we are so capped from what they believe. Like like you said, expecting having the stance that you can only pay the luxury tax when you have this obvious championship contender is insane. Like it, it makes no sense because often in the NBA now, like you really do have to spend money to get there. Like, I'm not saying spend, go into the luxury tax on a team. That's like maybe a, a borderline play in team. But if you're, if you have a playoff team and we did last year and you say, okay, we have this team, we need to get better. We probably need to pay the luxury tax to do that. That those are the type of expectations that people really should have, and that's what ownership should really be acting upon. And the fact that they will not, it, that's contributing to the regression of this team time and time again. Like we saw it with the Powell Gasol when they didn't want to pay the luxury tax to make the Powell Gasol trade many years ago. Like that played a part in regressing that build of that team. So, like, they, they've done this consistently. So, it, at some point, it's just like, okay, we could have whatever GM is here. We could have AK. We could have 
whoever from the Miami Heat, whoever from the Toronto Raptors, whatever young upstart, smart, analytical GM who's very promising. We could have that guy all day. But if ownership is going to continue to cap this team, it's like it doesn't really mean anything because it all starts from the top. So it's just what we saw this offseason where they just refused to use a sizable portion of the MLE. And then you look at what happens this season. It's just like, okay. (laughs) And then they don't. And then they're unable to make uh, trades at the deadline. And then they lose six straight. And it's just like, okay. (laughs) It's just like these things are poetic at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and almost like the luxury tax issue, it, it almost makes me wonder why they wouldn't want to lean into a rebuild then. Mm. You know, okay. because one, it makes sense just from a, there's so much talent in the league right now that if you're in this middle of the pack, it is just so hard to upgrade in a really meaningful way when you don't have like the kind of draft capital or like premium young asset to move the needle with a player, especially if you're worried about that player coming in and bring you above the tax. Um, and then like you're, the bulls are going to sell out their games regardless. Right. So they're not going to lose like mm. the home uh, ticket money. They're still going to sell a ton of merchandise and you know, I, you're probably going to be able to, you know, get, better young talent that might actually give you a chance to win in the future by doing it. Uh, so it, it almost makes a little bit, of, little bit of sense from like a financial standpoint, because you're going to shed the big contracts on your roster for the most part. And you're probably going to, you know, if you get rid of the, the Vooch, the Levine, and the DeRozan, like you're going to struggle to even hit the, the minimum mm-hmm. um, depending on, you know, who you bring in, it almost makes sense a little bit. With that said, next year, you know, if they did blow it up, it's like a very, very bad draft year. So it's also not like the, <laughs> yeah. the best. Great, it's also not timing. the best year to actually do it. <laughs> I, think probably, I think that next draft is probably supposed to be a little more top heavy as opposed to like maybe the top three or something. And then after that, it's like, okay. no, it's just bad all around. Is it bad all around? Okay. Well, it's probably better in the like, like you could get value like later that's like not too far off the top. Like there's no like superstar next year that, that you're the, like, oh wow. Is that oh, the okay. is twenty twenty five the Cam Boozer year or is that uh I that's I think twenty twenty seven. Oh wow, okay. So oh, right, I'm, okay. he's I'm young. Off. He's I think I'm he's off. a sophomore right now. So if you know Okay, I'm I'm really the off then. <laughs> two years plus the third year the plus the college or you know, G League well, year, whatever well, it is. Let's wrap up on this before we get into draft talk. Um, I mean, we're looking at, so they play the Wizards today. They play the Raptors on Tuesday. Wednesday, the Pistons, Suns on Friday. And then we'll, we'll stop it at that because then I, I will, Sunday they start, they play the Pacers. So we'll stop it at the Suns. I mean, those are outside of the Suns. Those are all very winnable games, but this team is so <laughs> like heckle and you know, Jekyll and uh, uh, Hyde, you know, that you, you just don't know which team will show up. And obviously, Pat Bev has a different, adds a different, you know, 
you know, answers to the equation. Um, but yeah, it's, they have to win three out of these four games, right? Like you can't, if they're, if they're serious about this playing situation, they have to do that at the very least. Like what, what are you looking at with the schedule, Corey? Like your thoughts? It's time to take care of business. Like they got to, you know, the, the teams that are ahead of them are Toronto and Washington, right? right. Like that's, that gives you the the perfect opportunity to like, all right. So Pat Bev came in and he's like, I'm bringing the energy. I'm making sure I'm on everybody's ass and going to make sure they're playing hard, which is like, not great that like you have to convince your best players that, Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you know, like, okay, this is the time to show it. Cause if you're serious about making the playoffs, you got two teams that are ahead of you, two teams that you might have to see in a play in game. Like, go back it up. Now it's 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 time to walk the walk. It's you you can't just talk it. So we'll see if that response, like this Brooklyn thing, like are they riding high and they're just like, all right, we're this is who we are and we're not gonna you know we're gonna take these teams lightly or are they gonna go in and and handle business? So, uh, yeah. and it'll be interesting too. Like you mentioned, lineup wise, having Demar at the four you know, as and playing small like that uh, was perfect for a team like the Nets who are just basically all wings across the board. Washington with Gafford and Porzingis, it'll be interesting to see how, how that affects them defensively, uh, what kind of schemes they're running in that kind of situation. And then Toronto is more like uh, Brooklyn is where they're kind of small all around, so it might work again. So it's going to be interesting I think over these next few games to see what kind of adjustments they make with this starting lineup if having Beverly and Caruso on the floor offensively is like something that could be sustained like obviously defensively they're going to be able to hold up and and the defensive numbers should be pretty good but the fact that neither one of those guys are like threats to just like you you could count on them every day to be high volume three-point shooters or really give you anything on a night-to-night basis. Is that going to be something that has to change going forward, or is this the starting lineup? Like, are they going to tinker with that? There's a lot to uh, questions coming up, but this stretch, even with Phoenix, Durant's if Durant's not back by then, that's still a game they should be competitive in. It's a winnable game, and then you have, you know, a bunch of winnable games after that. Like, this is a stretch they got to really prove to us over the next four to five games that like they're serious otherwise they're done yeah they're done they're done yeah i mean i'm looking for oh sorry go ahead i was was just gonna say real quick like after this five game stretch like it's it's brutal like denver houston sacramento minnesota miami philly twice portland the la teams like lakers clippers lakers on the road at Charlotte, trap game, Memphis, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Dallas, Detroit. <laughs> if they yeah. don't win these five games, well, I'm not saying if they don't win these five games, but if they don't win most of these games or take a big opportunity to build some sort of momentum, find mm-hmm. whatever you can in these next five games, it's it's done. Like, I, I don't know how they're going to do against all of these teams and those, I mean, I don't know how many games that is like 15 i don't know like it's just yeah it's not good <laughs> yeah i mean 
man, I look at that schedule. They probably aren't making the play, and then yeah. and like it might be better. It might be beneficial to loosen the Blazers. I mean, <laughs> I mean who, at possible. that point, it might be. It the Blazers are what? Uh, I think they're a game out of the play in themselves. Yeah, yeah, they're just right there as well. You know that, and if they like, I feel like if if the Blazers can make the play in, Dame might be good enough to get clinch them a playoff spot. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, it, it, it's tough. Like I said, it's tough. It's like, and even the move that they made, it's maybe might be too little, too late type of thing. It's like, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll find out for sure. It, it really is. It's, uh, we've been saying it all season. Like, how many times, Salima, we've been just like, uh oh, there's a three or four game stretch here where these games are winnable. The bullshit yeah. this, and it's just like, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> no, for real, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So I, I just caught it. Twenty-two games left. Yeah, so yeah. you need to you need to buckle up here. Twenty-two is, games yeah. is riding on your goal of playoffs. Yeah, this essentially. is this is your last. This is your last hurrah before shit gets real. I think um, it, it's just the rest of the schedule does not look good. So. Um, Hopefully, I mean, I'm not expecting another almost 50-point beatdown again, but hopefully Patrick Beverly is the jolt of energy and life that they needed and that they can get into the play-in. Because if they don't, it is going to uh, be a really interesting all-season. Um, so, like, shifting into into draft mode, where, as Salim <laughs> said at the top, that really great draft but the bulls may not even have a pick at this point so uh <laughs> yeah so, it's so, yeah. It's so a fun draft to talk about though I mean, yeah 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 fun really fun draft um and i i do want to get into some gg jackson a little bit later because it's gonna oh. be my really a rare opportunity for me to talk about any relevant south carolina draft prospect but i i do want to start with this though Corey. Mm-hmm. what are the because I, I do remember we we've talked to you a few times about this class and getting and getting some like early takes and then a little bit more takes after uh, scouting more. So, what are a few of the biggest shifts in opinion that you've had as we approach March in terms of this draft? Like, is there a player who has slipped in your view significantly? Is there a player who is is rising? Like, what are what are the biggest differences that you have encountered lately in this draft? I mean, there's definitely always going to be some risers that you maybe didn't expect to really kind of ball out because they were, you know, lower ranked recruits or, you know, you didn't know like Taylor Hendricks from UCF. Like Mm -hmm. you don't expect a kid from UCF to like skyrocket and potentially be a lottery pick. Right. So like, he's a guy that you don't see coming, but I think for the most part, like the, I think this is probably the most prepared I've ever been with my evaluations. Like my top five has not changed since the preseason. Okay. And like, I've, and I feel good about that. Like I've had Brandon Miller who, you know, obviously has been in the news lately. I had him in my top five, like over the summer mm-hmm. when he was like the 19th ranked guy. Like, okay. so I was like really doing my homework. And for the most part, I've really kind of like, I've moved guys, um, you know, up and down a few spots here and there, but outside of guys like Taylor Hendricks or Bryce Sensaba from Ohio State, uh, there hasn't been like as much movement as I 
usually have on my own personal board because my big strategy this year was like, I went in with a clear slate. I didn't look at ESPN's rankings. I didn't look at anybody's rankings. I just like got a list of the guys and I was just like, who do I think is are the best guys and just like totally ignoring rankings. And that's how I've kind of approached everything. Like I don't care whatever other people's opinions are. I'm just going to base this off who I think is going to translate the best to the league. And that's really helped me um, through this cycle, identify who I think was going to be the best players. And so far, at least in the, you know, obviously once they get to the league, that's when it'll really be proven. But the guys that I've honed and identified on have been the guys that I think have dominated a lot of the the discourse. So for me, outside of a few guys who have really risen up or, or guys like Khalil Ware was a projected uh, top 10 guy from Oregon, big man, you know, he's like, a guy that maybe you don't have to like, maybe you take a shot in the second round. Maybe he stays. I was a little lower on him, but I still had him as like a first round guy. So guys like that here and there have changed, but I, I felt confident with my, my preseason evaluations and, and how that's turned out. Where are you at with uh, um, Amon, Amon John, uh, Thompson? I should say, mm. <laughs> um, like I've seen a lot of people um, have him like, as the third best prospect, and then yeah. some people are not as high on him because they don't feel like his defensive feel is there, and they don't know if he'll be, be how he'll be on that end. Um, like, where are you? Or like, do you, do you are you pretty high? Is he at part of your top five, or is where do you? Have no, him I'm higher on his brother, um, his twin okay. brother Asar, who I have it at six. Oh, okay. Amen. Um, I have at nine. I'm um, in my top ten, and I, you know, I've seen Amen up close a couple of times. I watched him in live in gameplay, and then I've I've I got to watch him um, when I went down to Atlanta for the overtime elites pro day, uh, and you know, I Amen. Like I understand why somebody would identify him as the third best player in this draft because he is a special athlete. He is first step is outrageous his second and third steps are just as crazy he's a high flyer he's very quick twitch he's got excellent vision at six seven like he's a guy that you could envision being a primary playmaker but his jumper is so underdeveloped and like i watched him you know just shooting around miss like eight open jumpers in a row in like oh, a wow, practice wow. setting, like really struggle as a jump shooter. And now, you know, part of it is like, he's going, like he's changing his, his form. So it's a lot of like one step one, step two, step three. And, you know, there are times where it looks a little smoother. He even they're in the playoffs right now in their league. So he's even made like another mechanical adjustment, which is something I did want to see. So there is reason for optimism. If he becomes an adequate shooter, he's going to be impossible to keep out of the paint. It's almost like a little bit taller of a Jaden Ivey, potentially, right? But Mm -hmm. Jaden Ivey had way cleaner form, way more proven as a shooter, um, and it was a little easier to kind of buy into his evaluation. Whereas with Amen, not only is he a bad shooter, but he's like a really bad finisher at the rim. And he kind of is, he doesn't like seek out contact. He does like the Derrick Rose thing where he's like going up and around but he doesn't have like great touch around the hoop. Um, And if you're not going to be able to shoot it or finish at the hoop effectively. And again, the overtime elite, we have to understand is they're the oldest guys there. Like they're the same age as like some college sophomores and they're playing against 
legitimately like sometimes some of the best players on the other teams that they're playing are like 16 years old. So yeah. they're not like dominating the way you want to see them dominate uh, or at least on men like based on the level of competition that they're playing. Now at the same time they did go through a short like exhibition before their season started where they went overseas and they played uh Mega which is where like Nikola Jokic came from and is like a big time like developmental team overseas. Uh Marco played there. So and he played well in the international competition. They played in the uh the TBT tournament uh and and they played against like the Creighton team full of like older like ex college Creighton guys and they they played pretty well there. So like they do have some high level competition uh that they played where they showed something. But in their actual season, it's been very up or down. And the reason I like Asar better is I think that while he's not the same like top tier, if Amen is a 10 athletically, like Asar might be like an 8.8, you know? So it's like, he's still an incredible athlete, but maybe he's not as quick twitch with his second and third step. I buy his shot a little bit more. I think they're similar playmakers. I think he's got a better touch around the hoop. I could just see him, like, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, I could see him scoring in ways that make him a compliment to other players, where with Amen, if he doesn't prove that he could be your your lead guy, I don't know how much he offers to your team in a way that he's going to provide you that same value that you would get if you took somebody else at that third pick. But he's the toughest evaluation I've ever had. Who's, like, who's your... Who's one of your favorite guys when we get outside of a lottery? So somebody in like that mid, mid to late first ish range. Like who, who, who's somebody that really mm-hmm. sticks out to you? Uh, so I I think that there are a bunch of guys that could that I don't think there's like a, a consensus necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that the the range from like ten to twenty you could kind of shuffle those guys around and make arguments either way. But guys who I would bet on being either in the back end of the lottery or in that like 15 to 20 range. I love Bryce Sensaba from Ohio state. He, he was a guy that um, nobody really thought was going to be, you know, this high up in the draft, like in the, these conversations, but he's six, six, uh, six, seven ish, pretty long. He looks more like a football player than a, a yeah. basketball player. Like he's definitely got to, you know, maybe get in a little bit better shape, but he's strong. And I've, I I wrote this whole article on him. Basically, he's kind of like a an old school hooper with a modern game. And in a lot of ways, he is, you know, a disciple of the school of DeMar DeRozan. Like he is, like I sliced up clips of both of them together and they're just do he's doing the same exact moves that DeMar does getting to the same exact spots in the mid-range except Sensaba is also like a 40% three-point shooter or 45% three-point shooter on like 10 threes per 100 possessions so like he's also got that modern element of his game where he's a sniper from downtown so i love him i think he's going to be really valuable um Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana is a point guard who I think is maybe like he just had a 35 point game. So he's, you know, right now the internet is like talking about him. Uh, He's somebody who I, who I identified as a lottery pick uh, potentially like before the season. And right now I think he came in at around like 
20 some like early 20s on my last like draft stock rankings where I like average out all of the big mainstream outlets. Mm -hmm. So he's slowly rising. He might get there ultimately by the time of the lottery because he's 6'6". He's like a 6'5", 6'6", point guard who could shoot it off the dribble and has really good playmaking feel, can defend. Went to Montverde, you know, where Cade and Scotty Barnes and Jalen Duran and yeah. all the big-time recruits go go to. Um, so he's another guy that I really like uh, potentially in that range that I think, like, fits the modern NBA. Because uh, when I'm evaluating, like, there are a lot of really good college players, but, like, there are only – there's so much star power now that, like, I want to see guys who – have not only like could this guy be a star but like chances are he's not going to be a star and he's not going to be the number one option so like what does he offer hmm. that's going to allow him to play minutes and that's like positional size and versatility that allows you to play multiple positions on both sides of the ball um the ability to spot up and hit threes off the ball make you know high field decisions 0.5 basketball those are the guys that i've really valued this this draft cycle okay so I I want I want to uh, I I want to audition here and give you my best Gigi Jackson take and tell me okay. if it's tell me if it's spot on or tell me uh, stick to NBA or something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, you you used to be a draft guy, man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. I, I, I don't reason. watch as much as I used to, but like I I I, I think I have like the Gigi Jackson situation on point. So I want to see if Corey is on it as much as I have. So. All right, okay. so here's my best take on Gigi Jackson. I don't think he's ready for the NBA. I think that, and I and I've been telling all of my like friends in Columbia because we have nothing else to talk talk about in South Carolina except the Gamecocks. Um, <laughs> I I've been saying that I think there's a decent chance that Gigi Jackson actually doesn't even declare for his draft and instead enters the transfer portal and goes somewhere else. When I watch him. And granted, our, our team is not very good, so he's dealing with a lot of players who I think are just bad in general, and it's just a really bad situation overall. But he he can create a shot. He's got good size. Um, form is cool. Um, but the defense defense is not very good. I, I I think he shows a little bit of immaturity. Like he he kind of pouted after a game like a few times in the last month or so. Uh, so team defense is not really there. Very inefficient, high volume score. Like he he looks he looks like a guy who declared a year early, and not in a good way. Like right. He, he just looks really off in a lot of ways. He's had some he's had some high moments, but overall, like I just don't see someone who, if you drafted him in the first round in this draft in a few months, that he would even be ready to play after a few years. I think he would be someone who would probably just be traded like as just trade fodder like in a year. Like he, he's just not ready for anything. But like I, I've seen him, he's still in the first rounds in a lot of mocks, but he looks like a second round guy to me, <laughs> even possibly flirting with undrafted. I don't know. He just he just does not seem ready for the NBA. Let me know if I'm spot on. So he kind of gives you like Kevin Knox vibes, right? Where it's like yeah, you like understand he, the theoretical yeah. perspective of what he offers, but he's what is the likelihood that he all right. the things he needs to do to get to that level actually hit? Yeah, he 
like don't get me wrong he's talented like you see him create separation off the dribble he's got some good step back moves i i like the shot even though it he doesn't make a lot of it he's really surprisingly bad at free throw shooting though which is uh insane but I, I can see him being that guy this year. Like every year there's a guy in the draft who everyone's like, oh man, he was really good in high school, but bad in college. We should roll the dice anyway. I, I think he's probably going to be that guy this year. Maybe there's another guy in a similar situation, but I think he's going to be that guy. And from what I've seen in a lot of games, because I like to torture myself and watch Gamecock basketball, is <laughs> I don't think he is ready to play in the NBA next year. Maybe even like a year after that i don't know like it no you're right, you're yeah. right you're right you're right so for anybody you know who's not like a, a big hardcore draft enthusiast mm. Gigi jackson was the number one recruit in the high school class of 2023 mm. meaning that he is supposed to be in high school now yeah. and he reclassified he was committed to north carolina yes and that's where he was going to go next year but he reclassed and joined South Carolina um, where when I was scouting Gigi, when that decision was made and I was like, all right, so now I got to pay more attention to him now. And we were watching the film and, you know, in our no ceilings group chat over the summer, we're just firing off our random takes. And I was like, I don't get it with Gigi. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I get it. Like I understand why in theory, he's a, a fun player, but like in his high school tape, it was like his effort would wane. He was so much bigger and he like wouldn't fight for rebounds. I understood the pull-up shooting, but it's like, why is this guy settling for these pull-up shots when he could get anything around the rim? Uh, so, but then he started out the season and he kind of like fixed some of the issues that I was worried about. And he was like, he looked like he was ready for the college level, which, you know, it when you're, Every level of basketball, whether you're stepping up from JV to varsity or, high, you know, the EYBL to the, you know, to college division one, division one to the NBA, like there is always an adjustment you have to ha- make with the speed of the game, the level of competition, the physicality. And I thought early in the season, Gigi kind of handled that pretty well. And like you said, he's had some really high moments, the pull up shooting. You see those flashes and you're like, whoa, this looks like a guy who can seven seconds left in a playoff game, you could give the ball to him and like, he's going to be able to get to a spot and knock right. down a shot, but it's all the ancillary stuff. And like, that's what I'm talking about. What I mentioned earlier that like my scouting is really like, all right, if you're not going to be the number one guy, well, what do you bring to the table? Right. And mm-hmm. that's what you have to kind of worry about with Gigi. You mentioned he pouted. He went on an Instagram live after he didn't get the last shot in a game and was like, I'm supposed to be the the dude. I'm supposed to be the number one guy. And why am I not getting these looks and these touches, which was like a sign of his immaturity from being a year, uh, you know, younger than a, a college freshman. But also it's like, you know, you should know better not to, to do that. You know, that's going to make waves in that he did mention that maybe he might go back, but I was at um, North Carolina state versus Boston college last week or the week before it's all blend together and i was speaking to a scout uh that works in the league and i was like so what do you think of Gigi jackson and he's like obviously the inconsistency the shooting um efficiency is like you know worrisome he's like but honestly i think he's ahead of schedule because mm. he's playing up in competition okay he's like when he gets into workouts 
I don't see any way he's not a top 10 pick. And it makes sense in the way that the league is going to operate and like, all right, if you're picking at the top of the draft, maybe you don't necessarily believe at the guys that are left on the board and you want to take a shot at potentially this six foot nine, six foot 10 shot creator. He, you know, he makes sense as a bet in that regard to me. I, I don't think there's any way he stays. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is an Imani Bates situation because Gigi's physical gifts are just better. And he's also, while he's like had really poor moments and, you know, has really struggled in a lot of games. Like I think he was like two for 12 last night or something yeah. ridiculous, right? Like he has a lot of those games. He's also had high moments that like Imani Bates didn't have during his uh, freshman season where he reclassed. So to me, this is more like a Shaden Sharp situation where yeah. it's like, there was all of this talk like, no, he's actually going to go and he's going to go back to Kentucky and he's actually going to play next year. And then you get in workouts, the agents are there, the teams are making promises. And it's like, there's too many people going, you can't, you have to take this guaranteed money. Cause if he's, if he's going to go in the lottery, potentially that there's too much money for him to give up on the chance. Cause if he, if he goes back to college and he's still inefficient, mm-hmm. He's still showing those things. Now there's a real problem. So to me, I think he's going early. But as far as his scouting report, you're 100% correct. He's definitely not ready to play in the NBA next year. Um, And when you think about like most rookies who have college seasoning aren't ready to play in the NBA during their rookie year. Hmm. Like, and he's going to be younger than those guys. He's not as physically developed as a guy like Jalen Duran, who also reclassified a year early but he looked like he was 26, you know, as far as his strength goes. Like he stepped in right away and made it work. Gigi's not that, but he's very talented, definitely immature, definitely has ways to go, but I do think a team is going to take a chance on him. Mm. Let me me ask you, I have a couple of questions about the draft in general. Um, So let's say the Bulls do get that Portland pick. Yep. They make the playoffs. So it'll probably be around, what, like 15 to 18, roughly. What are some guys you think the Bulls should look at? Um, Or, like, if it's need-based or just guys that you like in general that you think the Bulls should definitely target? All right. So, for one, I think that our front office has kind of shown what kind of players – they Ooh, like yeah. in the draft, right? Patrick, mm-hmm. Patrick Williams, um, Dalen Terry, Io to an extent, even Justin Lewis last year is like the yeah. undrafted free agent right. target, which are these guys that are like minimum six five, can kind of dribble past shoot and defend up and down multiple directions and are more like wingy type mm-hmm. prospects. Um, so if the Bulls end up in that kind of situation, and again, I think there is a lot of volatility as far as like some of these guys I'm mentioning. They might go 20. They also might go nine. Oh, okay. Okay. So like it really all depends on the the situation, the team picking, uh, and how the, the workouts go. Because it's, it's very, all these players are super talented guys and they're all like, um, bunched up where there's not in this range, like you're getting, you're getting potentially really great value, like pretty deep into the draft 
doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a superstar player, but you can get a rotation player. Uh, Ryan Rupert is a guy that's really interesting. He is a French-born player, played for the New Zealand Breakers this season in the NBL Australian Basketball League. He's like 6'8 with a 7'3 wingspan. He kind of looks like a creative player on the court if you actually watch him, but he hounds people defensively. Like he is guarding guys the entire length of the court. And because he's so long, he has such quick hands, he's agile. It's like, whoa, like this dude could be the best perimeter defender in the league one day. And again, he might go 10th, but he also might go, you know, 18th or 20th or something. I do know that, you know, NBA teams have gone to see him. Not as many, but when he gets in workouts, I think his stock is going to jump up a little bit, but he's got pretty decent shooting form Um, that improved through the course of the year. He's, he could dribble the ball. He could make passes off live dribbles, not going to run your offense or anything, but he's versatile and switchy and like has all of the tools that fit the modern NBA. He's somebody who's interesting. Um, I think that a guy like Max Lewis from Pepperdine, who's six, seven um, long can play two through, you know, probably four one day can create shots for himself has shown good passing feel plays on a team in the West coast conference that doesn't win a lot of games, but he's one of these kids who like had a weird basketball path where he didn't start playing competitive basketball till late. Uh, He's somebody who's really intriguing as a guy who has like potential one day to be like a 20 plus point per game scorer. In my opinion, he's a guy I would really look at jet Howard potentially could be there in that spot. Six eight, six nine can shoot it in a variety of ways. Jawan Howard's kid, he's at Michigan, uh, needs to get better defensively, and he's so big and he averages like under three rebounds a game, which is concerning. But like, uh, he's a guy that's really talented. That if he was there, I'd be doing like backflips as a you know as a Bulls fan. But they're all these big kind of wingy guys. You know, I mentioned Taylor Hendricks from UCF. He's like 6'9", long wingspan. He's more of a four. Gives me kind of like Jaden McDaniels, if everything hit correctly and he developed a little bit of self-creation, maybe Jeremy Grant vibes, but he's at like two blocks a game. He would give the Bulls an option in the front court that would really help them because he could protect the rim, but he's also a 40% three-point shooter. And he could slide between the four and five slots kind of seamlessly and kind of be switchable defensively. He would be really home run type guy. Uh, Chris Murray from Iowa, Keegan Murray's twin brother. He's having pretty much a similar season to Keegan. So uh, he's a year older now, obviously, because Keegan went out last year. He's a lefty and Keegan's probably a little bit better of a self-creator. But if you look at Keegan's role in the NBA, it's been a lot of like off-ball stuff is where he's really thriving. I could see Chris having a similar role in the NBA and you're getting almost the same kind of value that you got with Keegan who got selected at four in that 15 to 20 range with Chris Murray. So again, I'm looking at like these three, four guys who play multiple positions, could switch on the perimeter, heady, high IQ, high feel guys like that. If you're looking to take a swing, Derek Whitehead might be there. He was one of the top recruits in the country. Um, He's at Duke. 
went at Mont, went to Montverde, McDonald's All American. Mm. He's been hurt this year. Um, he is a he is shooting like forty percent from three, but like everything else has been bad. The, the everything else, he's looked um, slow, unathletic, and he was this like big time shot creator, but he like can't create space. So is it because of the injury, or is it because? the next level of basketball is harder and he's in a tough conference and that's not the type of player he is. I'm not super high on him. Um, I tend to think it's more his play style than the injury, even if the injury has considered. But if you were like, Hey, let's take a swing on a guy who maybe teams were really high on or people were really high on played five years at Montverde star recruited Duke. He's probably going to be available at that spot too. Okay. Would you, uh, Sorry, okay. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, so we talked about, like, maybe, you know, I'd mentioned maybe Gigi Jackson reclassifies instead of going into the draft. Being that this draft is so deep and 2024, you mentioned, is not a very strong draft. Do you, could you see something maybe outside fringe lottery guys say, you know what, maybe there's a better opportunity to be a lottery pick in 2024? Let me reclassify and, and go into that draft. Do you, could you see that happening for this draft? I can. I, I can. Like um, a guy like Julian Phillips, who's at Tennessee, who is, you know, also kind of fits that like three and D wing role a little bit. Reminds me of Mikael Bridges uh, a little, but like mm. his, his three point shot hasn't hit this year uh, the way I thought it would. You know, he played at Link Academy, which is another one of these NIBC schools that plays against like the Montverde IMGs. Uh, so he's probably in that like 20 to like 35 range. I could definitely see him being like, I'm going to get my three point shot uh, going next year and I'm going to be a lottery pick. I could see a guy like that. Um, there, there are a bunch of guys who I can't, maybe not a bunch, but there are a few guys that I can see doing that that could help their stock a little bit that uh, could potentially be like Kalel Ware I mentioned earlier, who was a top recruit um, team USA, you know, playing at Oregon, big time recruit. And he's been pretty bad. I could see him maybe like transferring and saying, maybe I find myself in a better situation. I can go in the lottery and regain, you know, that kind of status next year. There are a few guys like that, and it probably makes sense for those kind of guys because you have NIL money available, and if you're going to go in the second round, potentially, like you're probably not going to make any more money than you would at college. You're going to be, you know, taking buses, you know, driving around to play the the mad ants for instead of you know playing in the sec or whatever nice stadiums you're in mm. and you actually have a chance to like recoup value versus you know getting passed around and maybe trying to find your way in the g league so it it's all situation it all depends but there are going to be a couple of guys who make that decision julian phillips man blythewood south carolina stand up um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, I, I wanted to ask you one of my uh one of my favorite players in this uh class i don't know where he's really slotted but um tracy jackson davis mm. where like I, he seems like somebody who's going to be a pretty solid role player in the nba i don't know what his like general potential is among like draft experts but always pops whenever i turn on a game uh 
like just really active player, like plays seems to have like value on both sides of the ball. Um, he's gotten better as a passer. It seems like throughout his career as well. Yes. Um, w- do you think he like you? You were talking about a list of guys that you think could uh, be beneficial in the Bulls range if they do get a pick. Do you think he fits that type of player that AK would want? And do you, like how do you see him panning out in the league? So I'm actually probably on the higher end with him mm. than I think most people would be like right now um, on my, my draft rankings, which averages ESPN bleacher report, no ceilings, sports illustrated, the athletic tankathon, the ringer, like all of their rankings. He came in at 35 with an average draft stock of like 40 that seems on low. all the boards because <laughs> he's older, right? Like yeah. he's a senior. Um, this is Dale Davis's biological son. Uh, so he's got <laughs> oh, the okay. NBA. He's got the NBA pedigree. Yeah. I love him, I think he's made like awesome improvements this year. I I have a hot take with him that I threw to the, the no ceilings group at one of our last meetings, and I was like, I think he's kind of got like sneaky like star potential. Mm, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I'm rolling. You know, I'm rolling with it because I think that he's the kind of he has he's a super athlete. He's six nine. He's averaging almost three blocks a game right now. Um, I think he'll be able to guard you know, in multiple defensive schemes, he doesn't shoot it at all. Like that, that whether that's, you know, something schematically they believe in or whatever, he just doesn't shoot distant shots. They play through him in the post a lot, but you know, you mentioned it earlier. He's like a really fantastic passer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's quick to make reads. He doesn't wait until the double comes. He, he does it like at the the opportune moment. He's big, he's strong. He's efficient around the hoop. They play through him in the post a lot. Mm-hmm. In the NBA, I think if you use him more out towards the elbows where you're going to be able to run him off, you know, as like a, a DHO hub um, and a lob threat and a guy who is able to like make plays out of the short roll, I'm not saying he's going to turn into Sabonis, but I think if you try to use him in a similar manner, it's like he could be like, we have Sabonis at home. Yeah. You know, yeah, I I, I like him a lot. <laughs> like, he, yeah, he, like he's, he's really two- good. He's probably the best player in college basketball. Yeah, and 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 I get it. Like, he's an older prospect at twenty three, but I I think one of the things that seems clear that I have nothing to support this statistically, but I've embraced really the the older prospect game. The guy, mm-hmm. like the juniors and the seniors, like I've embraced that more because. I, even though these, these players are older and they don't, they clearly don't have as much upside as like a 18 or a 19 year old coming into the league, but there's nothing to suggest that these players still can't get significantly better. You know, right. like we, we, we've seen Jalen Brunson come into the league as an upperclassman and he's really good now. And, you know, we saw Michael Bridges. I remember when people were saying Michael Bridges, low ceiling, couldn't get better. Michael yeah. Bridges is, is really good. And, with, with Brooklyn now, he might even become a twenty-point scorer at some point. Like, it, it, like hey, Jalen Williams in OKC this year, right? Older, so, older prospect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, yeah. it's, I, I'm always looking for now. Like when 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 we talk to you and when I'm looking at these like boards, I, I'm always looking now for these upperclassmen who are, are underrated 
but because they're old yeah because just because they're old but they're skilled and they're getting better and it's like okay if i can get a guy that has been getting better each year in increments and he's coming into the league why would i bet against him not getting better yeah like (laughs) it's not like someone like tracy jackson davis has limitations like the guy good passer block shots like can score i mean who knows what happens if he starts taking jump shots? I don't know. Is, Correct. Like, it, but they'll work on that. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if there are like even um, Herbert Jones is another right. guy. Like, yes, really good player. <laughs> so yeah, Herb Jones, yeah. Uh, Trey Murphy. Yeah. Even you know, like yeah. I think that people and, and and in that range, like in the like if if the Bulls were to buy a second round pick and and use it on Jackson Davis, I'd be like great decision right like um guys like that people look down on these guys who who stay in college and like you said get better but like when you stay in college along with like aging up you also get the opportunity to get better that you might not get in the nba when you're this kind of when when you're not like you know the top 10 picks they're gonna play for the most part because front offices like have you know they have to play these guys to make it look like they didn't blow that pick. Mm-hmm. You don't, if if you're like this raw guy who has some potential, but and ultimately ends up going in the second round and you're more of a theory than like you actually have skills. Yeah. You, you probably are going to get better playing in the G league or whatever. And, and the G league being available now is a great tool. It didn't always exist, but you might not be getting NBA reps. You might not be getting actual playing time. Whereas if you stay in college, you get minutes to actually develop those weaker parts of your game. And if you show that you develop those weaker parts of your game and you're not just staying the same player, then I think that that is a positive for the player. And that's why I think he's undervalued. I actually said like one of the exercises I want to do at No Ceilings is I want because we all build out big boards out to 60 picks. Hmm. And in that everybody has their own philosophy, but it's like maybe we have guys that we think are home runs and you would take those guys really early in the draft. Even if the chance that you're hitting the home run, you're just as likely to strike out and you know that, but you're willing to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to do an exercise. Like let's just take, make a list of the top 20 players that we just think are going to be in the NBA in four years. Yeah. Because that's a much different list than building out your draft board because you're taking you have to weigh like, are is this prospect as likely to actually hit their potential? And if we did that exercise, Jackson Davis would be in that twenty for me. Yeah, and like going back to what, what we were talking about with Gigi Jackson, in the sense that, okay, who are these guys that if, if I put them in a game for eight minutes, do mm-hmm. they have a skill that isn't necessarily scoring points? that can be valuable to a team if I put them in this game for just a few minutes. And someone like Tracy Jackson Davis has those skills. And to to give some rare credit to our our former GM, John Paxson, he was a guy that was pretty good at identifying these types of like upperclassmen who like a Taj Gibson, Jimmy Butler, Mm -hmm. um, who else? I mean, Kirk Heinrich was a senior, Uh, Chris Duhon in the second round, like, he was right. good at identifying these types of uh, players. Had some misses, like a, a Tony Snow, whatever, whatever. But he was good at getting these types of players. So 
it, it's becoming more I, I'm really liking seeing these players like a Dorian Finney-Smith who comes into the league as a senior and is viewed as a really valuable role player now like I'm enjoying seeing these guys come into the league and start to pan out and really kind of you know tinker with the draft process a little bit so it, it'll be really interesting to see who those guys are and if I'm betting I think it's going to be Tracy Jackson Davis is going to be one of them I would bet on him. A guy like Hami Haquez from UCLA is another guy. Marcus Sasser from Houston. Yeah. You know, is those are the Colby Jones from Xavier. There are a lot of a, a bunch of guys like that that I think are going to stick around in the league. I think one of the things to take into consideration with some of these really young guys, too, especially a guy like Gigi, hmm. is that we just dealt with COVID. And in that were basically wasted developmental years Mm -hmm. for basketball players because their seasons were not, you know, the traditional seasons that you're used to. Some of the tournaments got shut down. Some of these guys might not have had senior years that, you know, they're so you, you, maybe you're just training one-on-one in a gym and that's cool. And maybe that's why you have an awesome pull-up game, but like that doesn't help you read a defensive rotation or handle a, you know, a, a double team off of a pick and roll. So a lot of these guys that are raw, that are really young, they're in a tough spot because not only did they miss out on that developmental time, but now the NCAA instituted, like, you get your COVID year. So some of these guys are really old. Memphis yeah. has a kid on their team who's 26 this year in college. Wow. <laughs> you know, like, He's in his prime. Like, right. Like, <laughs> so, you know, like these young guys – they're playing against grown men who are in like their fifth year in college basketball and they missed out on development. So some of these guys, that's just a really hard thing for them to deal with. And you see how raw they are and how it's affecting them. And then they're still going to try to, you know, if they have the value, if they get the promises, they're going to take that shot to go in the league. And I think, that's why a lot of these guys miss and and you see some of these older prospects fit in as role players because that might have been what they were in college. They might not have been the 20 point per game guy, but they know how to fit in and play a role. And that's, I think, in the later parts of the draft, like that's you can get really good value by identifying those guys. Yeah, 100 percent like it. This is this is going to be a really like fun draft to, I, I think, watch as the as the combine and everything and, and the camps and the, the uh, you know, uh, players going against each other and ultimately draft day, it's going to be really interesting to see all of us shape out and see also see who uh, rises in these conference tournaments and March madness coming soon. Like it, it, it is a really deep class of you and Salim have both accurately said, uh, Corey, thank you so much again for returning the bulls gold as always blessing us with this, unparalleled draft knowledge and also confirming that i am accurate with my chi chi <laughs> i, I yeah, feel it's... really good about it um so i i thank you for nailed that. it nailed but, it yes but uh, uh <laughs> thank you again for uh for dropping by we love talking bulls basketball with you and the draft um let our listeners know what you're working on and um even if you have like some uh early uh you can fill us in on some early uh plans that you have coming up for this year's draft in terms of how you'll be uh, covering it mm-hmm. at No Ceilings as well. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, my written work at NoCeilingsNBA.com. We have a, a really awesome staff of writers. We put out um, 
you know, full on written pieces Sunday through Friday. Uh, it's free. You'll get it delivered directly to your inbox. Um, you could follow the No Ceilings YouTube, uh, No Ceilings TV. You can follow my YouTube at the NBA Draft Dude. Uh, no, we haven't announced it officially yet, like anywhere, but the we the No Ceilings podcast, uh, which we do five days a week. We have five different shows. We just um, signed on with Blue Wire, so we're excited about that. Oh, nice! Oh, yeah, congrats. yeah, thank you. Man. We're very, we're we're excited about that. So that'll be you know like officially announced soon, and and hopefully, uh, you know, we get to use that nice studio they got in Vegas for maybe draft night or something. Um, but I've been uh, the things I've been focusing on. I've been you know kind of trying to fill the void left when uh, you know my. My mentor, Mike Schmitz, got, you know, scooped up by the Blazers. He was doing those film breakdowns with, right. with prospects. So I've been trying to carry on that mantle. Uh, I just did one with City Sissoku from the G League Ignite where we we broke down his film from this season. Uh, I did one with Jalen Clark from UCLA. We got a, a couple nice. of more coming up. Yeah, so, if you know, that you, that could be found at the No Ceilings YouTube. And if you want to get, like, a, a cool in-depth scouting look where I'm picking – prospects brain and, and watching film with them and asking them what they maybe would have done differently here or why did they do this what are they reading i think that stuff is really valuable when when you're trying to get to to know a prospect so um more of those come in on the way and you could find all that stuff at at you know the places i just dropped love it man congratulations man, on the blue water Corey, yeah every time we come out you come on here this is something new happens right right no like I'm, I'm fully expecting like just one day where it's just like yeah no ceilings is on like espn or something like that yeah it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me like it just Corey just like comes in with like an espn hat on it's just like hey guys so uh <laughs> That's 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 the goal. It's gonna happen. That's it's gonna goal. happen, man. It's yeah. gonna happen. No, it's I, I think it is. You're you're like I said it from the beginning. Like, man, you you have such creative ideas, and then you're great at implementing the ideas into play and action. Man, you're just yeah, and you're good, man. That. Like you you you're good at what you do. Like your 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 process, your eye for talent. Hmm. Like it's there, and you know. I like I like how you you like I always say you know you're not a basketball snob so I like how you reach out to <laughs> even like the like you know the you know the nitty gritty and but you don't keep it at like a niche level where right you're yeah. only mm-hmm. reaching out to people other basketball sickles you are reaching out to the general audience too that doesn't know about a lot of these things yeah. and that's really cool too I think in my yeah. opinion one hundred percent like I, I think you you done you've done a great job at not being it or not only being able to talk about it in detail, but being able to talk about it at just a high level that is just really good for so many different audiences. And like you work extremely hard. So again, congratulations to you and those ceilings always doing big things. So can't wait to, to check you out when you are on blue wire. Uh, so this, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, this, this draft is going to be interesting. I one one deep analysis I have is I noticed that, after being after there being like a, a lot of Williams in the last draft, there's zero Williams in this draft. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 
Yeah, there were like ten Williams. That was the, that last year was the draft of the Williams, and this year there's zero Williams. This I is the Miller. This is the Miller draft. Is this the Miller there's, draft? There's a few okay. Millers in, in this draft. <laughs> That's my analysis. I've added it to the draft. We, we even. I mean, I, I still think it's funny that we got. Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams on the same team. Well. Yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, that's 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 great. That no, funny. but yeah, like I said, you know, Corey's always great to have Corey on. Um, it, we'll see what happens with the Bulls, man. We, it's every every week, every week we record. We're like, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, it is what it is with them, right? Like, we'll, hopefully, I'm just hoping. Like, for me personally, my personal goal. I'm glad Pat's going to get more on-ball opportunities, and I just wanted to continue to see him take advantage of those opportunities. And if Pat can consistently – if Pat can finish the season being consistent, that'll be a success for me, regardless what happens with the Bulls making the playoffs or not. Right. Like, that's my personal goal. And obviously everyone has their own, you know, things that they're rooting for. But I'll, if Pat can do that, I'll be pretty – I'll be very happy. Yeah. No, I, I'm – as far as like Pat goes, I, I think what he's done this season, like he's been getting better in increments. He's showing significantly yeah. better confidence in terms of just being active offensively and being interested and being used. So I'm encouraged by that. And I think regardless of what type of build the Bulls are in next season, I think Pat is going to be in for a, like a pretty significant year next season. So I, I feel good I about where he's at. And maybe like with, between Demar and Pat, uh, Pat Bev, they'll they'll force the dog out of <laughs> oh, him. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like they, Pat, like I like you know you, you saw on the sideline anytime they showed Pat Bev on the bench, he was talking to Pat Will like he was you know in his ear. Yeah. Um, the like, players yeah, know man. they know how talented yeah. he is. Yeah, like you know, I had a I had an old teacher that would say like, you know you. you he he would he would have he would have a twist on the saying about you know you can take a horse to the water but you can't make him a drink. Yeah. He'd be like, you know what? I'll take the horse to the water. I'll push his head into the water, and something <laughs> will soak in. That's what his saying was. So hey, maybe that that's the thing they can do with Pat. You know, get him, get him just to like consistently be angry or like. You know, it, it, like he doesn't. I don't care if he shows emotion. Like as far as yeah, like there's great players that never show emotion and they go about their business. But it's about just the knowing that you're that dude and yeah. and not shying away from being that dude. Um, that that what that's what we need to see consistently, and that's fair. That's fair criticism as far as him consistently being like, I'm going to get this. This is mine. I think that is fair in that regards, but I like I said, I've been very encouraged with Pat this season, and I definitely see a more uh, and and obviously it's it's always unfair to put un, unrealistic expectations like the, the stupid Kawhi. Like we joked about those, but like people were serious <laughs> about the Kawhi stuff. It's like, come on, let's relax. Man. Let let's stop putting unreasonable expectations on prospects, and then and then killing and beating them down when they don't re- meet those unrealistic expectations so yeah like i said you know i'm just excited to see how pat can finish um like i said he looked good at the with the nets and obviously mm-hmm. everyone looked at the nets because the bulls just had a crazy good game but we saw some of those opportunities that he could have in that second unit being able to handle the ball and do a little bit more self-creation um and and look for his own offense more so than he would with playing with more with the barn zach 
100 percent uh real quick who has better confidence uh pat beverly or denzel valentine <laughs> pat bev has has more effective confidence okay. i would say <laughs> all right all right denzel is like dude there's no reason you should be this confident why are you this confident in yourself i mean denzel like, thought he was the guy to take the last shot yeah you know, these scenarios pat bev at least has the self-awareness that like he might think that his impact as a role player can push a team to like be a playoff team but i think he knows he's not the guy yeah, Denzel didn't necessarily know that he he wasn't the guy all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I miss Denzel, man. It, it was all downhill from that summer league uh, game winner, man. It was all downhill. Yeah. From there. I don't see I don't see Patrick Williams getting in the way of Demar or Zach when they're trying to hit the game winner. <laughs> I, I don't see him like trying to run into them while oh <laughs> while they're trying to shoot before the game winner. So I, I think oh, I think Pat Bell definitely. Will his his confidence will ra- raise the team, not not hurt the team. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I love it. Uh, uh, but, but that that concludes today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can uh, find our past episodes wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, and right here on the Barroom Network. So again, thank you to Corey Taluba for dropping by and discussing the Bulls and the draft with us. Uh, For Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Shula. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.